Welcome to the Steady Anchor Podcast. We are a Christian, creedal, and confessional podcast highlighting theology and practice in the local church. We are part of the Doctrinal Discipleship Ministry and members of the Society of Reform Podcasters. I'm Luke, and welcome to the show. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Psalm 31, 19-21 Welcome back to the Steady Anchor Podcast. I am Luke, your host. Since our last episode, I took my first week of finals at Mid-America Reform Seminary doing my MDiv there. Um, it was rough. It was, it was definitely more rigorous than my undergrad. I think I ended up writing about 84 pages in just that last week in terms of final essays and papers and sermons and whatnot. So it was quite busy, um, but we made it through, had a decent break, had two really good weeks celebrating the holidays with my family and friends. Um, and then the last week ended up COVID heading hit our house and had to quarantine while I streamed in to the first couple of days of my January Hebrew class, which learning language is not quite so easy online. It's uh, it's a bit of a struggle, but making it through, I'm back in person now. Um, my wife and I are both feeling fine. Uh, just a busy week, lots of stuff going on, so I'm glad to be back into the normal schedule of things, at least a little bit more normalcy. Um, thinking about things for the future and future plans for the show and uh, working through a couple other things right now. It's a busy time in life, lots of change, but in the end, God's plan is better than ours, and he is still good and faithful to provide what we need. Speaking of goodness, that's what we're talking about on this episode today, the goodness of God and how our lives as his followers, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and filled with his spirit, how we should exhibit that same goodness as a reflection of the Christ-likeness within us. So, this is part of our study of the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been doing for a couple months now. This is episode 90 of our podcast, and we've done the last few episodes on this fruit of the Spirit series. If this is your first time listening, you can go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. We've gone through the whole fruit of the Spirit versus fruit of the flesh contrast in that passage in Galatians chapter 5, which is where we're getting the primary source of the study from. We've gone through love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. The method of our study has been really to do somewhat of a word study, going through chronologically, canonically, how these words are used in certain ways. Um, Not in a sense where we want to illegitimately kind of shoehorn in too full of a definition everywhere. As we know with language, there is nuance and uh, differentiation in the way that we use language. This one word does not always mean everything that it could possibly mean in every circumstance, so we want to be careful with that. But we also want to see the ways in which Scripture uses these terms and phrases in order to get a more comprehensive view of what this looks like and how we are to understand it and how then we live in in uh, reaction to that, how we, out of gratitude for the grace of God which he has showed us by the working of the Spirit within us, sanctifying us and making us look more and more like Christ and the character of our triune God, 
the way that we exhibit these same fruits of the Spirit as we are more conformed into His likeness. And so the purpose of the study is not to um, burden you, the listener, with more law. You should be praying more and trying more and loving more and being more faithful and patient. No, the, the purpose of this is to exhibit what the Scripture, God's Word, says about these topics and then out of gratitude to encourage you, the listener, and me as I'm studying this, to better exhibit these fruits, uh, ultimately relying upon the means of grace that God has instituted in his church through the fellowship of the saints, through prayer and scripture, through corporate worship, and through reliance on his spirit. These are not graces that we can just stir up in ourselves by our own willpower. We need the grace of God and the power of the spirit to build these fruits within us. It is only by his gracious work in sanctifying us that is making us holy more and more like Christ that we can exhibit these fruits. So it's not about just trying harder. It's about developing a greater reliance on God and the things of God and trusting him for your growth and grace. So that's our process here. Today we're talking about the fruit of goodness. It comes from the Greek word agathosunes or agathosune. Um, it's not really used that many times in the New Testament. I only see four times I was able to find, and it's not always used in the exact same tense in which we're talking about it now. It refers generally to an uprightness of heart and life, uh, and it's also an exclusively biblical term. So the New Testament we know was written in Koine Greek, which is kind of the common Greek of the day um, that was stretched throughout the whole Roman Empire and the Greek Empire before it through the works of Alexander the Great and his big conquest. And so it's a word that we don't really have any record of being used in the secular sphere. Uh, we really have this word agathosune, being used first here in uh, the New Testament, the Christian writings, uh, and then subsequently in the writings of the church and the church fathers. So it's interesting, there's not a lot of reference for this. Really, the word comes down to just the idea of someone who has good, so goodness is a sufficient translation. Um, it's also something that's kind of hard to define in English because good is such a general and vague concept almost. It's difficult to pin an accurate demonstration or sorry, accurate definition to it. Um, it refers to a moral goodness, a fitness, an appropriateness, a rightness. Um, it is tied deeply to the concept of righteousness, of of trueness, of that it be fitting and proper. Um, there's a general sense in which just we know what it means by experience and by just the use of our language, what it means to be good, a good friend, a good father, a good uh, sister, brother, mother, whatever the case may be, a good worker, um, to exhibit the characteristic of faithfulness, of trustworthiness, of reliability, of uh, keeping things in confidence, of working honorably and respectably. Um, it's a number of things that are kind of interwoven together. So as we've talked also about before, these fruits are not so definitely clear and distinct that we can draw very fine lines between them. There's a lot of ways in which these fruits of the Spirit overlap with one another. 
Um, and so there's not very many uses of the term goodness specifically in Scripture. But if you go back to some of the other words that we've already studied from this fruits of the Spirit list, you'll find a lot of the same ideas and concepts drawn out. So there's also a Hebrew counterpart to this word, just the word tov, which is the general Hebrew word for good or right or proper or sound or healthy. It can mean a lot of things in a lot of different circumstances. Um, I'm in a Hebrew intensive class now. It's my second semester of Hebrew. Um, it's a flexible language in a lot of senses, and in other senses, it's very um, rule-oriented. Languages like that. Languages are, are complex. Uh, Greek was a lot easier for me to pick up because it still flows with a lot of the same thought patterns, I think. We, as modern Western thinkers, can trace back some of our grammar and syntax and even uh, the sound of the words back, but ancient Hebrew, it's ancient Semitic, Middle Eastern, it's, it's reads differently, it structures differently, and so there's, there's a lot of nuance to this that I'm really learning to appreciate as I study the languages, which I encourage as well. So I'm, I'm studying for full-time vocational ministry. I'm studying to be a pastor one day, um, and I'm actually hopefully going to be starting an eldership process in my church within the next year. Um, I plan to plant a church in Joliet, Illinois, eventually. That's where I currently feel uh, the Lord is leading me to. That's what I've been training towards these last few years. Um, but I think part of being rightly equipped for full-time pastoral ministry is having at least some competency in the language. I'm not going to say that you can't be a pastor unless you can, you know, parse pluperfects and whatever. Um but I do think it's helpful to have a basic understanding of at least how the languages work, because there are a lot of people out there with just a little bit of language knowledge, and that sometimes is even more dangerous than no knowledge at all, because a little bit of knowledge can be twisted to say some very dangerous things. So all that to say, learning the languages is helpful. It's a lot of work, and not everyone has the ability to do that. Not everyone really has the time or the resources for it but it is worthwhile in study. So moving on then to our looking at goodness, the concept, the phrase, the ideas, the theme as it is traced throughout scripture. We're going to go canonically through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And again, it's not a word that's used specifically very many times. Um, there's different senses of it used in different ways. So we're just going to take a couple verses uh, to look at more deeply in this study. Starting with Exodus 33:19, this is referring to Moses as he uh, spoke with the Lord on Mount Sinai after the Lord had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Um, and this is after he's given him the Ten Commandments, after um, a whole lot of the developments there at Sinai with God finding or founding this covenant with his people, establishing Israel as a covenant nation. And so um, Abraham sorry, not Abraham, Moses asks to see the face of God. He wants a greater and deeper experience and understanding, a more intimate personal relationship with the Lord. And so he asks this, and the Lord says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on him on whom I will show mercy. 
And so he goes on to say that no one can see my face and live. And so he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and and he catches a glimpse of God's hindquarters, his back, so to speak, in anthropomorphic language. Um, and the Lord declares himself to be the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, and all of these things that define him, his covenant name and his character, which is beautiful. It's a passage well worth study. But we see that his goodness is part of his intimate character, um, that it is one of the things that we as creatures understand most clearly about God. Um, there's a lot of, of debate going on currently about the d doctrine of divine simplicity and classical theism. Um, some of the other people in our network of podcasts, the Society for Form Podcasters, are doing really good work on that right now. Um, I believe there's been really good episodes recently by the Particular Baptist Podcast referring to the doctrine of divine simplicity and how that relates to the attributes of God. So that's a little more in-depth than what we're trying to do in this study, but if, it, you're, if your interest is piqued by that study of the divine attributes and how it relates to God's simplicity, I would urge you to go and check out some of the other podcasts in our network. So continuing on, here in 2 Chronicles 6, verses 41 through 42, this is Solomon as he's dedicating the temple to the Lord in Israel, and he prays this prayer after his sacrifices. He says, And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love to David, your servant. And I'll go right into the next passage, because it's on the same, um, it's the same, it's a similar account of the same happening in 1 Kings 8. Again, it's Solomon dedicating the temple. This is 1 Kings 8, 65 through 66. So Solomon held a feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant and to Israel, his people. So part of the goodness of God is his intimate presence with his people. This is God dwelling in a, in a theophany, in a glory cloud in the temple that Solomon has built in Israel and Jerusalem. And so part of their experience of the goodness of God was, was a more intimate experience of his presence among them. That we know that God is in all places at all times. He is everywhere always. But there's a special sense in which he visibly, tangibly manifested his presence in this temple to let his people know that his glory, his presence, his person was with them. Continuing on, this used uh, a number of times in the Psalms in a lot of really beautiful passage. I just picked out three passages from the Psalms that deal with this. Psalm 23, 6, that uh, famous and beloved psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. Uh, the psalmist writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, uh, in the conclusion of the short psalm on uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that the Lord uh, feeds him and watches over him and guards him even in the midst of the valley of death and and anoints his head with oil and feeds him in the midst of his enemies. Yet still, goodness and mercy follows after him. 
because he dwells in the house of the Lord forever, because of his relationship with his shepherd, who is the Lord, the good shepherd. Psalm 25, verse 7 also says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. The psalmist appeals to the goodness and grace of God for his forgiveness. He appeals to God's goodness for the sake of his name, for his reputation, asking that for the sake of God's goodness, he would be remembered and forgiven. Psalm 65 verse 4 says, Blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. It's also used in Isaiah chapter 63, referring to God's redemption of his people and pointing forward in some sense to the new heavens and the new earth near the end of Isaiah. Uh, This is 63, 7 through 9. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he has said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. And in his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all at the days of old. And it is the goodness of God which carries his people, it is the goodness of his house, that his presence among them, that again, they in the old covenant, they were looking to the temple and the ark as, as the symbols of God's presence where God would meet with his people. But in Christ, God has met with us personally, bodily, incarnate. In the person of Christ, he has come and dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And by his spirit, the spirit that he pours out on all of his elect, those whom believe, that God is not only with us, he is within us, transforming us day by day and filling us with the strength of the Spirit. Jeremiah 31 also, when talking about the restoration of Israel, and in this chapter he's pointing forward to the new covenant which he will make in Christ and his work. He says in Jeremiah 31, 10 through 14, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He says, He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and young men and old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. This is a prophecy of Jeremiah pointing towards the restoration of Israel and also the the bringing of the new covenant where God will meet and dwell with his people personally and ultimately to the fulfillment as well. There is an already and not yet sense of this. Um, Moving also to Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord to the goodness in the latter days. 
This is referring to uh, pretty much Hosea, if you know the story. Hosea is a prophet whom the Lord commands to marry a prostitute, um, an unfaithful woman, as a as a representation of Israel's unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness as her husband, her Lord, her Redeemer. And so in this passage, um, he's referring to the way in which Israel has been unfaithful, and yet the Lord will bring them back, that his children shall return, that they shall seek the Lord, that they shall seek uh, David their king. And this is centuries after King David has died. And so in a sense, it is pointing forward to the new and greater David, the better David, who is Christ the full and final king of Israel, the redeemer and savior of his people. They come in fear to the Lord and to the goodness, his goodness in the latter days. And then into the New Testament, again, it's only used a couple times. Here's a couple examples. Romans 15, 14, Paul writes in his conclusion to his letter to the church in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Part of his praises for the church in Rome is that the people that he's writing to, he doesn't rebuke them as harshly and as strongly as he does to some of the other peoples, like to the church in Galatia or to the Corinthians. He says that he is satisfied, he is, he is glad that many of his brothers there in the church in Rome are full of goodness. They bear this characteristic that is a reflection of the character of God who is working within them. They have all knowledge, true knowledge. They have an understanding of God and the things of God through his scripture and his spirit. They are able to teach one another about these things. They are full of goodness. That is the mark of a mature disciple. And all of us, none of us are mature in this life, so all of us must be continually trusting in the spirit for a growth in grace and a new measure of fullness of goodness. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, Paul again writes, this time to the church in Ephesus, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruits, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He uses this word here, goodness, again, in the sense that all of the fruit, the fruit of light is found in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That we who have been redeemed, born again, regenerated by the power of the Spirit, are now a new creation in Christ. And as children of the light, the fruit of light, the fruit of the Spirit within us, is goodness and righteousness and truth. And so we walk in the light and no longer in the darkness. And then again to our key passage in Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in closing, um, let's reflect and be aware always of the goodness of God towards us his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his steadfast covenant-keeping love, that he is good, he is righteous, he is kind, 
he has all of these positive moral characteristics. And, and we say those things not because there's some abstract concepts out there that God is conformed to, but rather that these are descriptors of his inherent character. And therefore, he is the one who defines goodness. He is good and he is great. He is merciful and just and kind and so many amazing and wonderful things. And so this is worth our reflecting on, us to dwell on the truth that God is good. And in Christ, the goodness of God is manifest, that Christ is the full and final word spoken by the Father, the fullest revelation of who he is, because he is God in the flesh. So the goodness of God manifested in Christ was his coming, living, and dying, and rising again in our place, so that we may have new life and eternal life in him. That is the goodness of God, and that is worth celebrating, that is worth meditating upon, and that is worth living out in gratitude. Uh, it's the pattern of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's it's part of the ethic um, that the, the, the theologians of the Reformation try to instill in their people is that the Christian life, are, they structure their theological statements in terms of guilt, grace, and gratitude. There's another podcast in our network that are doing great work. It's called the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude Podcast for that same reason. Because we see our guilt, that we are not good. That we in ourselves, apart from the grace of God, are twisted inward. We are selfish and sinful and broken and weak and failing. But he is good. And in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, he has extended life to us. That he has chosen a people to redeem for himself. That he might be glorified in loving us and showing us more and more of who he is for eternity. And that is amazing. That is beautiful. And so in gratitude, in response, we seek to be good. We seek to reflect the goodness of God, not in a way of earning our place by his side, but in a desire to look more and more like our Father, like our elder brother Christ, who is the first fruits of the resurrection. So we long to be good servants, to long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We long to be good friends, good disciples, good brothers, good sisters, good parents, good workers, that all that we do would be characterized by the goodness that God himself exhibits, to be a people who reflect that character of God in the way that we love one another, in the way that we are trustworthy, that we are respectable, in the way that we are honorable, in the way that we are kind and loving towards those around us, to those who are easy to love and those who are difficult to love, to rejoice when we are persecuted, to love those who hate us, to pray for our enemies, and to serve them as best we can. And so, I hope that um, not only does this sink in for me, but I also pray that for you, the listener, that as we are studying these things in the scripture, that we would respond not in some sort of servile works righteousness, that we have to drum up this goodness within ourselves, but rather that we long to tap deeper into the fountain of goodness that is found only in Christ, that we would rely on him and him alone, because he is the only source of goodness that there is. So let that be an encouragement to you, and I hope to see you again soon. Until next time, love God, love his church, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have a great week.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Steady Anchor Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Steady Anchor Pod. Or you can subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. If you're looking for more like-minded content, you can check out the Society of Reform Podcasters at reformpodcasts.com. If you'd like to support this podcast and the website and wherever else we're doing, you can find us on Patreon and give whatever your heart allows. You can also find our website where we post more content, articles, resources, and reviews. That's doctrinaldiscipleship.com. The opening song is Rock of Ages performed by Nathan Drake. Thanks again. We'll see you around.